Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of our air conditioning and they do a great job. You can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll be talking about the first line of defense, which is our free speech. We'll also visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of murder mysteries, which are really terrific reads. It is April the 19th, and on this day in 1775, at about 5 a.m., 700 British troops on a mission to capture Patriot leaders and seize a Patriot arsenal marched into Lexington, Massachusetts to find 77 armed Minutemen under Captain John Parker waiting for them on the town's common green. British Major John Pitcairn uh, ordered the outnumbered Patriots to disperse, and after a moment's hesitation, the Americans began to drift off the green. Suddenly, a shot was fired from an undetermined gun, and a cloud of musket smoke soon covered the green. When the brief Battle of Lexington ended, eight Americans lay dead or dying and ten others were wounded. Only one British soldier was injured, but the American Revolution had begun. That's how it all started. By 1775, tensions between the American colonies and the British government approached the breaking point, especially in Massachusetts, where Patriot leaders formed a shadow revolutionary government and trained militias to prepare for armed conflict with British troops occupying Boston. In the spring of 1775, General Thomas Gage, the British governor of Massachusetts, received instructions from England to seize all stores of weapons and gunpowder accessible to the American insurgents. On April the 18th, he ordered British troops to march against the Patriot arsenal at Concord and capture Patriot leaders Samuel Adams and John Hancock, known to be hiding in Lexington. The Boston Patriots had been pe- preparing for such a military action but the British by, by the British for some time, and upon learning upon the British plan, Patriot Paul Revere and William Dawes were ordered to set out to rouse the initial militiamen and ward Adams and Hancock. When the British troops arrived in Lexington, a group of militiamen were awaiting. The Patriots were routed within minutes, but Warford had begun, leading to calls to arms across Massachusetts countryside. When the British troops reached Concord at about 7 a.m., they found themselves encircled by hundreds of armed patriots. They managed to destroy the militia supplies the Americans had collected, but they soon advanced against by a, by a gang of Minutemen who inflicted numerous casualties. Lieutenant Colonel Francis Smith, the overall commander of the British force, ordered his men to return to Boston without directly engaging the Americans. As the British retraced their 16-mile journey, their lines were constantly beset by patriot marksmen firing at them Indian-style from behind trees, rocks, and stone walls. At Lexington, Captain Parker's militia had its revenge, killing several British soldiers as redcoats hastily marched through his town. By the time the British finally reached the safety of Boston, nearly 300 British soldiers had been killed, wounded, or were missing in action. The Patriots suffered fewer than 100 casualties. The Battle of Lexington and Concord were the first battles of the American Revolution, a conflict that would escalate from a colonial uprising into the World War that seven years later would give birth to the independent United States of America. Think of that. This just uh, the very beginning of a very small group of people, patriots, committed patriots, to actually break away from the power, most powerful country in the world. Well, the Florida Department of Health on Sunday reported 98 more COVID-19 cases and no new deaths in Collier County. They've been very sparse in reporting what the results. They're averaging in the last seven days about 56 hospitalizations due to COVID as of 4-16, April the 16th. So um, looks like it's really, there has been a lot of an increase in the number of cases, and that's good news. More about COVID a little bit later, but... Uh, this weekend, I attended the uh, Florida Citizens Alliance event. It was really interesting and informative. 
uh, and it was called, uh, let's see, uh, it, what was it called? It was called Celebrating Kids and Country, and uh, Alex Newman was one of the speakers. He's the CEO of Liberty Sentinel Media, and it was he is fantastic. What a bright, informed guy. He writes for the Epic Times, and it, the information that he gave us was sh uh, shocking. And uh, I found this column. One parent, Andrew Gutman, has finally had it with the leftist indoctrination happening to kids at school. Uh, the parent wrote a long letter telling why he's removing his daughter from the $54,000 a year Upper East Side School in New York. It's pretty much of a doozy. But here, the point that I'm making here is a lot of this stuff that's going on that he's paying $54,000 a year, it's happening all across the United States right here in Florida. And uh, he writes, dear fellow, uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm only going to paraphrase and take a few sentences out of this very long letter, but I want to make the point that right now we have problems in our public schools, and uh, the problems are beginning to uh, materialize, and uh, the ingestion, the uh, period where they're, the kids are getting trained to become and to really hate America, and it's really unfortunate. He writes, I, uh, our family recently made the decision to not re-enroll our daughter at Brearley for the 2021-22 uh, school year. She's been at Brearley for seven years, beginning in kindergarten. In short, we no longer believe that Brearley's administration and board of trustees have any of our children's best interests at heart. Moreover, we longer have no longer have confidence that our daughter will receive the quality of education necessary to further her development and critical thinking responsible, enlightened, and civic-minded, and become a civic-minded adult. And then uh, later he, he says, I cannot be stated strongly enough that Brearley's obsession with race must stop. Later he says, I object to the view that I should be judged by the color of my skin. I cannot tolerate a school that not only judges my daughter by the color of her skin, but encourages and instructs her to prejudge others by theirs. And then later he says, I object to the charge of systemic racism in this country. And at our school, systemic racism, properly understood as segregated schools and separate lunch counters, and, go, and he goes on. He says, uh, we have not had systemic racism against blacks in this country since the civil rights reforms of the 1960s, a period of more than 50 years. The state otherwise is a flat-out misrepresentation of our country's history and adds no understanding to any of the today's societal issues. If anything, long-standing and widespread policies such as affirmative action point in, in uh, precisely the opposite direction. And then he says, I object to the definition of systemic racism, apparently supported by Brearley, that any educational, professional, or societal outcome where blacks are not where are unrepresented in, in prima facie evidence of the aforementioned uh, mentioned systemic racism or of white supremacy and oppression, uh, he says, I object to the ideas that blacks are unable to succeed in this country without aid from the government or from whites. And then he says, I object to the mandatory anti-racism training for parents, especially when presented by the rent-seeking charlatans of Pollyanna. These sessions and both their content and delivery are so sophomoric and simplistic, so unsophisticated and inane, that I would be embarrassed if they were taught to brearly kindergartners. You know, having parents have to go through required race training, unbelievable. I object to Brearley's vacuous, inappropriate, and fanatical use of the word equity, diversity, inclusiveness. If Brearley's administration was truly concerned about so-called equity, it would be discussing the cessation of admissions preferences for legacies, siblings, and those families with especially deep pockets. <laughs> That's great. And I object to Beerley's advocacy for groups and movements such as Black Lives Matter, a Marxist, anti-family, heterophobic, anti-Asian, anti-Semitic organization that neither speaks for the majority of the black community in this country nor in any way, shape, or form represents their best interests. So well said. I object to, he goes on in his letter, as we've been told time and time again over the past year that the school's first priority is the safety of our children. For goodness sake, Beerley is a school, not a hospital. And you know what we're talking about with the masking up and uh, cessation of teaching and so forth. I object to the gutting of history, civics, classical literature curriculums. I object to the censorship of books that have been taught for generations because they contain dated language potentially offensive to the thin-skinned and hypersensitive, something that has been already happened in my daughter's fourth grade class, he said. 
And then later in the letter, he says, by the way, this is a 1,500-word letter. He says, Rarely are uh, schools like Burley are supposed to be the training grounds for, for our leaders. Our nation will not survive a generation of leadership even more poorly educated than we have now, nor will it survive a generation of students taught to hate our own country and despise its history. Lastly, says, I object as strong as a strong sentiment as possible that Burley has begun to teach what to think instead of how to think. I object to the school is now fostering an environment where our daughters and our daughter's teachers are afraid to speak their minds for fear of consequences, quote-unquote. This is a great letter. Given the insidious cancel culture that has of late permeated our society, most parents are too fearful to speak up, but must speak up, you must speak up. There's a strength in numbers, and I assure you that the numbers are there. Contact the administration of the Board of Trustees and demand an end to the destructive and anti-intellectual claptrap known as anti-racism. And then he ends, uh, respectfully, Andrew Gutman. I admire him so much for taking his daughter out of the school, number one, but uh, also writing this letter to the other parents in the school. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is uh, this kind of teaching is uh, rampant in our public school system. Uh, This uh, uh, session that I attended this weekend where Rebecca Friedrichs, she's the founder of Kids and Country, she was a teacher in California, and she speaks of the, what's being taught right now and the demands of the Department of Education or the, the, the unions. It's just atrocious. So when you talk about sex education, you say, well, well, maybe that's okay. No, it's not okay. You should just hear the things that, and see the things that they're teaching. It's unbelievable. In any event, I, I recommend Alex Newman. Google him. And uh, he writes for the Epic Times. Uh, just a very smart guy. Very informative. Our school systems are in trouble, and the reason why we have leaders like we have today, and the reason why we have uh, citizens like we have today, and so the millennials, is our school system has taken a deep dive into teaching what to think, not how to think. Very sad. Well, as a matter of fact, I've taken a lot of time here, but uh, I, I passionately believe in what I just stated, and uh, I hope you'll think about these comments and get involved and pay attention to what's happening in our schools. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House thrift stores, Cafe M25, 
car wash and detailing center and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books, on mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a multimedia, really rich uh, website, uh, HistoryCentral.com. Good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So, uh, for these last many years on Monday morning, we've been talking about breaking news and around the globe. And uh, let's just start off with what's happening with COVID. Absolutely. So, COVID, we can divide the world into different different spheres. I'm here in Israel, and everything opened up for the first time yesterday. One no longer needed to wear a mask. It was a very nice feeling to walk outside and not have to worry about a mask. You still need to wear them indoors, but everything is fully opened, except if you want to eat indoors or you want to go to a stadium, you have to show proof of vaccination. And there's the Ministry of Health has a, has a card that's virtual and electronic that's tied to all the different health, um, health divisions, uh, HMOs, and so you can show proof of that. And about 85% of Israeli adults have now been vaccinated above 16. So, Mark, a uh, so quick look, question for you. Uh, now that the mask mandate has been dropped outside, do you still see people wearing masks? Yes, about 1 in 10, I would say. Oh, really, just 1 um, in 10? I interviewed one of them a little while ago, and they said, well, there's still health reasons. Interestingly enough, a study came out yesterday that showed the number of people who had to be hospitalized due to asthma dropped by 60% this year because of mass usage. Oh, that's so, so interesting. There are some other side benefits. The Asians uh, knew something when, or know something when they wear masks all the time, I guess. Interesting. So that's just an interesting side. Now, yeah. the worst situation right now in the world seems to be, of course, two places, India and Brazil. India growth has been exponential. There's now 200,000 new cases a day. The Indian hospital system is at the breaking point. They're basically doubling up people in beds. That's how bad it's become. Huh. And similarly in Brazil, the same situation has occurred. Um, the United States is having this mixed situation where um, 50% of adults have gotten received at least one shot. So what we're seeing is a drop in morbidity. But with people not taking care, the number of people getting sick has gone up. Um, but because it's the older people who are first people who've gotten shots and uh, at this point, then the death rate has gone down, but has not disappeared. So we'll see what happens. The United States is not heading towards the direction of Israel at the moment, and Israel has basically reached herd, herd immunity. Yeah. Um, and that's a big deal. Absolutely. Uh, so we'll have to see. And still the concern everywhere is, is these mutations so far. The vaccines seem to be working on all the mutations, but there's that concern the, the one will show up that the vaccines won't work on. I do. It was a little concerning so, that Pfizer said, you know what, uh, maybe two doses aren't enough. You're going to need a booster perhaps in six months and maybe have the shot every well, year. He said that possibly they need another one in a year. Now, it's really hard to know that at the moment because we won't know until July. July of last year was when the first uh, test group started getting the vaccine. So until we see what happens with that test group, we'll have no way of knowing whether you need a whether you need a booster or you don't need a booster. Um, so those are unknown questions at the moment. Sam, I'm uh, sure Pfizer would love to sell you know yeah. sell a, a vaccine to everybody in the world once a year. It sounds like a great business. It um, certainly does. It sounds very suspicious to me, to me. Well, we'll have to see. I mean, but look, this has been the most the greatest advance rapidly in science and medicine, I think, in human history. Um, to, met, to develop a vaccine within a year. Actually, they actually developed the vaccine in, in a matter of days, actually, but everything else was testing. And to have it now war, in a worldwide distribution, um, places like the United States distributing four or five million doses a day now, um, this is a great 
a great strive forward for science. And it certainly it's is. It's working. There's no question the vaccine works. So. Uh, certainly. And uh, also, uh, for, good. also for uh, bureaucracies able to produce and uh, to, uh, you know, shorten the time span in order to get these uh, drugs approved, I think it's just amazing. Uh, well, Absolutely. I mean, they, everyone, everyone condensed the testing time, the quiet time, the discussions time. Everything was condensed because, listen, people were dying. Yeah. And it shows that government can step in and do the right thing sometimes. Not always. Sometimes it can do the right thing and do it quickly. Yeah, in this case, that was this is one case where only governments could have done what was done in the time that was necessary. But, Don't yeah. forget, the pharmaceutical companies were risking little because especially the U.S. government under President Trump financed right. uh Finance the production, so they were they were risk free, right? And so it wasn't capitalism that got us here. Maybe the, some of the technology came from capitalism, obviously, but the pharmaceutical companies probably wouldn't be would not have been willing to start producing before approvals, before everything. We'd probably be another six months to a year um, if it wasn't for the Trump administration's decision to to pay up front, basically, right? Take that risk. Well, I would say uh, it, I would credit uh, leadership as opposed to the government, actually, for pulling this off, because I don't think this would have ever happened had it not been for President uh, Trump's willing to take a risk to uh, to make this happen. I just said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the government is, is the leadership, you know. It, it, I'm it, so it, sorry, no, Mark. I can't uh, separate out totally government from leadership. Right. You have good leaders and bad leaders, and you have leaders that know how to cut through some of the red tape. It depends on where it goes. That's right. So, so hey, Mark. It worked well in this case. Okay, so... Uh, um, talking about government, by the way, we should be talking about breaking news. We should mention the fact that for the first time, a helicopter has flown on Mars in the last 20 minutes. Wow, that's just fantastic. Now, you know, break, we're seeing, uh, actually, uh, uh, to me, this is just astounding. I just love this kind of news that actually... Well, the news, of course, on the unidentified flying objects is of concern and uh, interest, but also that we have this trip to Pluto. Actually, we have a device flying out towards Pluto, and we're getting feedback now and, and pictures. It's kind of interesting. Right. No, listen, I'm a strong believer that um, space exploration, human, human beings need new frontiers to conquer and need the need the vision that, that it provides. Absolutely. And I'm glad with you know, the more we do, the better off humankind is ultimately. Absolutely. Some people think it's a waste. I certainly don't, not to mention all the side benefits in terms of technology and everything else. Right. And interestingly enough, private industry, Elon, Musk, Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX got the contract to build the spacecraft to land men back on the moon. So that'll be interesting also. Absolutely. Uh, well, we're in violent agreement about that one, Mark. <laughs> uh, we have so much more to talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round, Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 
44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And I proudly served as really the founding board chairman for 15 years. And now building this new playhouse is going to be so exciting in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, uh, the president has made his decision to withdraw from Afghanistan on 9-11, or by 9-11. I don't know why he chose that date, but uh, any thoughts? Well, I have the same thoughts I had when President Trump announced the withdrawal by, I forgot when that was, by May, I think it was, of this year. Yeah. Very mixed thoughts. You know, on one hand, I sympathize with the idea that we really can't stay there forever and we've been there 20 years. On the other hand, the idea of, you know, the Taliban are really bad people and they're going to come and oppress the women and they're going to, you know, behead people and all the terrible things that the Taliban have always done they can continue to do. Mm-hmm. And will the, Tal- will the Afghan security forces be able to defend the country against them at this point? I don't know. I hope we're not going to do what we did with South Vietnam. In other words, we can pull our troops out, but we need to continue to support uh, the Afghans from the air, let's put it that way. Mm. Um, So, look, if elections were held in Afghanistan, and they were held, obviously, the Taliban lose each time. I mean, the people do not want the Taliban rule. But it's very hard to defeat a religious-based... Um, call it insurrection, call it whatever you want to call it, but it's very difficult to defeat something, to defeat something that's so based in religion. And we haven't succeeded, and the Russians didn't succeed, and the British didn't succeed. So it's a really difficult situation. Uh, whatever whatever decision was made was the wrong decision. In other words, there is no good decision here. It's just choosing yeah. the the worst of the different options, I'm afraid. Well, there are some urban areas in Afghanistan, but, the fact, you know, it, it may be the root cause of all this may be that it's not really a country at all, but a bunch of tribes. It could be, but, you know, we have that all over the world, and people put it together different, uh, you know, again, one of the things we have in, in Afghanistan, which we have in a lot of places in the world, urban versus rural, mm-hmm. and the urban people are you know, much more educated at this point, and women have have rights in the cities and everything else. Mm-hmm. Some of the rural areas where the Taliban control completely. Yeah. So, very difficult, very difficult situation. There's no good answers here. Um, you know, like I said, I had mixed feelings. We discussed this when President Trump announced his withdrawal. Um, I had the same thing with President Biden. The date's a little bit later. Uh, of course, one of the things one keeps in mind is you know, let's wait and see if it actually happens also. That's true as well. By the way, uh, this is not on our list to discuss today, but I s- saw that Raul Castro is going to retire and, and uh, leave leadership in uh, Cuba. Any thoughts on that? To me, that's just very strange that he's choosing this time. Well, look, I mean, he's an older man at this point. I think he's 88 or 89, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, it's time. It's time for your new generation. Now, I have no idea what the, new, what the young generation of leadership in the Communist Party in Cuba is or what they believe. Um, I think we'll see tra- significant changes. I can't imagine Cuba will stay what it, you know, stay whatever level of communism that exists today much longer um, in the Western Hemisphere that, uh, and, you know, that are all capitalists and all more or less free. It just doesn't seem likely at this point. Yeah, and, and without the Russian support that they used to receive as right, well. There's no ideological support from anywhere in the world, but say, not Russian, not Chinese. Yeah. So I, I don't see this continuing. But again, I, I am not an expert on the next generation of Cuban leaders, so I don't dare. <laughs> that. Well, thank you for that, Mark, those comments. So uh, let's turn to the relationship between Russia and the uh, United States right now. Okay, so we have a f- we have three and a half different um, 
points of, of problematic situation now with Russia. We have Ukraine, where they've now massed a significant amount of troops along the border, including support troops, and they have enough troops to actually invade. Now, what they want to accomplish, no one really knows. As someone said to me, I need to be a psychologist of Putin to really know what he wants, but they're in a position to do that. Mm -hmm. At the moment, they've uh, cut off the Caspian Sea from... Um, from uh, the Ozo Sea, excuse me, from non-Russian uh, ships. Uh, it's a difficult situation at the moment. It's not clear where they're going, but it doesn't look good. Uh, we have the ongoing uh, break-in of the uh, security services um, of the Russians into the, the major hacking, um, which you know is wider and greater than anything had ever done previously. Mm -hmm. And of course, we have their interference in the 2020. 2020 uh, 2016 and the 2020 elections. And then we have the human rights, the issue of Navanay, who looks like he's about to die in Russian in Russian prison. Yeah. Um, so the U.S. under President Biden's administration is pushing back in ways that it can in terms of sanctions, particularly against uh, some of his people and the oligarchs that support him, himself personally, and um, how, how effective it'll be no one really knows. Sanctions never really, really accomplish what one hopes to accomplish. Um, but hopefully, the fact that the United States has made it clear that it won't stand by if Ukraine gets invaded will make it unnecessary for the United States to do anything. Yeah, um, the Russians have really been a bad actor, and they continue to be a very bad actor in every way they can, in any way they can spew dissent. Um, I mean, the other place was actually in the Czech Republic, where the Czechs just. 10 Russians for all sorts of espionage and interference in the domestic affairs of Czech. And now, of course, the Russians have done the same to the Czechs. And um, Russians are stirring the pot wherever they can. You know, what's and interesting to me is, is is uh, Russia, I heard somebody say that it's really just a gas station. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not a strong... Yeah, with nuclear weapons. With, nu that's, with that's, nuclear that's, weapons that... in, a, in a pretty big bank account. That's a... So, that's yes, a... The, that's a that's the point is that the, you know this is a, a scary scary deal because we've they've got hundreds of nuclear uh, missiles pointed in our direction you know so uh, I'm I'm really concerned about uh, how we manage this relation our real concern should be China what's going on with China but not Russia but uh, <laughs> right but China you know China is a is a funny actor in other words. China only, I mean, and yes, we should be very concerned about China in the long term, don't get me wrong, we have to worry economically and everything else, and we, but China, the only, the places that we have to worry about are the areas that they consider totally on, you know, their area, Taiwan, Hong Kong, mm -hmm. uh, now we should not allow them to retake Taiwan, obviously, it's a very dangerous situation, and we've pledged uh, to support Taiwan, but Russia gets involved everywhere as they can, and let's keep that in mind, they're, they're doing things in all sorts of different places. Yeah. Um, but um, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, I, I think I think Russia is more than a distraction to the problem of China. China is a long-term issue of American competitiveness, and I think some of the ideas of an industrial policy are important. And independence and ship making is very, very important. Yeah, uh, those are things that that uh, without some sort of government policy, we can't rely on capitalism to uh, to allow. Um, all ship, our chip manufacturing to take place in the in the area of the lowest possible costs. Right. Um, you know, and that that's where it's necessary to involve the government, I think, in in industrial policy to make sure that America maintains its capability of producing ships. Not only capability, yeah. but actually produces the ships. Absolutely. Among other things, I mean, drugs and all kinds of things that were that are quite frankly pressure those metals that are used for uh, uh, some of the things that we uh, use for our for our uh, development of uh, our defense they're just very important so we need to make sure that we can do this locally and domestically not not uh, depend on Russia right but of course you know there, there goes in you know it's a very difficult line I mean especially if someone like you who believes in laissez-faire capitalism to a large extent uh -huh. you know how much do you want the government involved yeah and well the, the reason very difficult it's, the, it's the reason not we, simple well, the reason we do that is because of the lack of laissez faire I mean we have so many uh regulations and rules that prevent us from mining these uh metals that uh, we could be there we have them right here in the United States it's just that our our regulations and EPA and so forth prevent us from taking advantage yeah, but of that's only part of the story you know, keep in mind the fact that 
generally speaking, uh, you know, producers go where the lowest possible production costs are. Right. And that's that's the way of, of you know globalization, and globalization has allowed that in so many different fields. The fact that that computers can keep track of supply chains, and all these things that that are, are possible today that never were possible previously. Yeah. Um, and you know that's been the great challenge in the American economic system is is the effects of globalization have been very strong. And we need to figure out the balance between globalization, which I think is important because it keeps the cost of living down for everyone in the world and it lets the world uh, develop in a positive way because when countries specialize in what they're best at, you know, the old um, um, Smithic economics of um, oh, basically works in the sense that the countries have comparative advantages and they should be allowed to succeed in those areas. But they cl- it clashes with national defense sometimes. Yeah. yeah Mark, we have so much more right to balance. talk about. as you- easy. Yeah, well, I mean, we have so much more to talk about. But as usual, we've run out of time before we've run out of content. So uh, I genuinely appreciate your commentary on the show and a reminder our listeners of your website. Please check out HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Have a great week. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer knee pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Listen to the Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I hope you check out the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be uh, visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. Uh, listeners can learn a lot more about us from our website, fee.org. Uh, it contains daily commentary, uh, some video, and uh, announcements about activities and so forth. Uh, but we are uh, established to uh, educate and inspire young people of high school and college age in ideas of individual liberty, free enterprise, private property, and personal character. And we do that not only through the website, but also through uh, programs in person and online all over the country and the world. 
You know, uh, you can get depressed thinking about what's happening in our country. Uh, I've gone to some of the national meetings for the Foundation for Economic Education. I must say I was bursting with pride and, uh, and uh, optimism, seeing the young people who were basically celebrating freedom and uh, all the principles that Larry's just talked about. If you have a young person in your life, grandchild, child, high school or college age, please introduce them to the Foundation for Economic Education, fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, you wrote a great column, Historic Figures Who Recognize That Speech is Freedom's First Line of Defense. Maybe you can tell us about it. I'd be happy to, Bob. I opened with a quote from the great Frederick Douglass, who was, of course, one of the most notable abolitionists uh, uh, and former slave uh, as well uh, in uh, American history. And he put it well when he said, to suppress free speech is a double wrong. It violates the rights of the hearer as well as those of the speaker. It is just as criminal to rob a man of his right to speak and hear as it would be to rob him of his money. Well, that's, that's an eternal truth there, yeah. and it establishes how critically important freedom of speech is. Uh, in fact, I, it's hard to imagine that you could still enjoy other freedoms if you've lost the freedom to speak your mind. Uh, and it's, it's very sad. It's tragic and it's shocking uh, today what uh, some parents and many schools are teaching that uh, uh, show up in the fact that Douglas's statement might not meet with majority approval today. Yeah, yeah. There are polls that indicate that more than half of the American public think that the First Amendment, which guarantees free speech, is outdated, ought to be rewritten, uh. Uh, and in some way restricted. And it's, it's really a far cry from what our founders put together and for generations Americans uh, fully supported. It's so true, Larry. And I, I, I started our uh, episode or our show today by talking about uh, how we're losing freedom of speech. I mean, with the uh, Black Lives Matter and all the things that are being pushed right now, uh, for white fragility. Uh, it's it's being pushed down parents and in students' throats. They're being taught what to think, not how to think. And uh, this this whole notion of freedom of speech to have differences, to be able to have debate is so critical to a free country, and uh, yet it's, it's, we're almost seeing it evaporate. Yeah, and we've got to fight back. Uh, we have to push back on these people uh, who are pushing suppression of speech or trying to in- intimidate. And I think it, it needs to start with parents um, more effectively finding out uh, from their uh, children what it is they're being taught in the schools. Absolutely. And if there's any of that kind of... Uh, suppression of free speech or uh, characterization of people with various views as evil and must be shut up and so forth, well, then uh, parents need to raise that uh, with teachers. And uh, ultimately, if it doesn't go away, they need to uh, take their kids out of school and put them in in a different school. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, I attended a session on education on uh, Saturday talking about the spectrum of uh, genders. (laughs) It's unbelievable what kids are learning now in school. Uh, And it's it's just really a shame. So the freedom of speech is kind of the... And by the way, you mentioned Frederick Douglass. He is a true hero. He was a counselor to several presidents. This guy, he he, uh, was a slave. He was raised as a slave. He learned to read secretly because it was against the law to teach uh, slaves how to read and uh, went on to become a multimillionaire, actually, by today's standards. So, uh, unbelievable guy and a great, uh, great supporter of the Constitution. Yes, he was, and uh, a, a towering figure physically as well. Uh, he just had that huge mane of, uh, of a hair, uh, hairdo yeah. <laughs> and a, a very commanding presence. And uh, I quote in this article uh, another thing that Douglas said, He said that liberty is meaningless where the right to utter one's thoughts and opinions has ceased to exist. That of all rights is the dread of tyrants. Mm -hmm. It is the right which they first of all strike down. They know its power. Thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers founded in injustice and wrong are sure to tremble if men are allowed to reason of righteousness, temperance, and a judgment to come in their presence. Slavery cannot tolerate free speech. Wow. Just so impressive. What, a, what an impressive uh, 
comment, but also what an impressive man. Again, Frederick Douglass. But she cites some other heroes as well who uh, have uh, spoke, have uh, supported free speech. Yes, uh, George Orwell, famous author of 1984 and Animal Farm, uh, he said, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. Mm-hmm. And uh, Albert Einstein, the great physicist, said that laws alone cannot secure freedom of expression. In order that every man may present his views without penalty, there must be a spirit of tolerance in the entire population. Yeah, that, that being Einstein. And, and George Washington's warning as well. Yes, he said, if freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. Mm. He certainly understand, uh, understood uh, that, that whole point because of the, uh, the American Revolution and what the English were doing. And uh, John Stuart Mill was a real champion of liberty. Yeah, John Stuart Mill was uh, a great 19th century philosopher and uh, economist, and he said that strange it is that men should admit the validity of the arguments for free speech, but object to their being pushed to an extreme, not seeing that unless the reasons are good for an extreme case, they're not good for any case. Uh, just uh, such important stuff. And then uh, maybe we could end with Justice Douglas and his comments. Yes, Supreme Court Justice uh, William O. Douglas, who's uh, passed on some 30 years or so ago, but he was a 20th century uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice. He said, restriction of free thought and free speech is the most dangerous of all subversions. It is the one un-American act that could most easily defeat us. Yeah, Larry, you know, these are such, this is such an important topic in today's environment, what's happening politically and how uh, they're, they we're seeing the suppression of speech from big tech, the suppression of speech uh, politically. Uh, and in our schools, uh, it's a real major problem. And if we, we need to fight for liberty, and I, you know, I think uh, one thing that I believe is that we all have the right to make a choice. And uh, one of the choices we can make is to pay attention, to find out what's happening in our schools, <laughs> to get involved, yes, speak out. Absolutely. Because uh, things are happening right now, and we could just, to George Washington's point, end up as a nation of sheep just going down with the ship. Larry, I yep. just I just genuinely appreciate your commentary on the show. I want to just remind our listeners to visit fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be a visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Baron, Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of books. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide two and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. 
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Hope you visit Choice Social. It's a refreshing social networking platform. And uh, you can find out more by visiting choicesocial.us. We have with us Jim McTagg, as I mentioned uh, before the break. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Follow the Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, both <laughs> located in Washington, D.C., and uh, just rich, rich with all kinds of uh, the background of Washington. Jim McTagg. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure, Bob. Hey, speaking of murder... You know, I was looking at some statistics, which have, which I think have relevance for the uh, midterm elections. Uh, Chicago in 2020 had 875 gun deaths, wow. and 78% of the victims were black. Philadelphia in 2020 had 499 uh, shooting deaths, uh, most of them black, and it's heading to 600 in 2021. Wow. Um, my point is that uh, this is uh, potentially a benefits the Republican Party because people who live in these neighborhoods uh, don't want to be captive of, of gang violence. That's why I think he's, the Democrats were surprised in the last election that so many minorities, uh, blacks and Spanish, uh, voted for Donald Trump. Um, uh, you know, uh, and, and looking forward, I mean, the elephant... The elephant in the room is still COVID. We have, you know, close to 600,000 deaths in the country. We still have lots of hospitalizations. Uh, but by the midterms next year, I'm thinking that, it, it, you know, we'll be uh, finally remembering COVID days. Yeah. And people, again, will be focusing on things like uh, gun violence in the cities. Uh, they'll be focusing on opioid deaths, which, you know, run about 80,000 a year. And the source of those opioids, of course, is uh, south of our border. So that will focus attention on uh, Biden's uh, border policies, which uh, this week uh, flip-flopped. They went from uh, uh, Biden endorsing what uh, Donald Trump had done until the left wing of his party screamed. And and now he's talking about lifting uh, the cap. Uh, And it gives the impression of a president who, President Winvane, you know, who who uh, is so sensitive about the Democratic Party getting blasted next year in the midterms yeah. uh, that he's he's trying to appeal to independents, he's trying to appeal to men, and trying to appeal to the uh, crazy lefties in this party at the same time. So, you know, the bottom line, my potpourri, is that uh, the Democrats probably uh, – going to get wiped out in the midterm elections and lose control of the, uh, the House and, and uh, lose seats in the, the Senate. Yeah. Well, from your lips to God's ear. But, uh, you know, I personally believe that uh, we're seeing this move to, you know, to uh, re- remove the police, care, reduce the, the size of the police force. Black people in, in uh, neighborhoods really count on you know, in these uh, in these uh, neighborhoods, really count on the police to protect them, and I think we're going to see more and more people, minorities, uh, saying, you know, where the Democrat Party is going right now really concerns me. I'm going to think about changing my vote to being a Republican. Well, the other thing too is, uh, you know, I don't know about your community, but you know, I live in Washington D.C., which is an international city, and a lot of my neighbors are. Uh, uh, middle class and upper class uh, black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're uh, professionals or military officers. Uh, the Democratic Party cannot count on their uh, automatic support because, no. uh, you know, they think like uh, everybody, uh, I think most other people. I mean, everybody is disturbed about pretty uh, uh, happy cops. I mean, and that's always been a problem. And and in an ideal world, we would love to rid police departments of, uh, you know, the the bad, so-called bad cops. Uh, But on the other hand, if you look at uh, police shootings throughout the country in comparison to the gang violence in the cities, it's it's statistically uh, considerably smaller. Absolutely. so and and so so here's the other problem. If there, I think that regardless of the outcome of the uh, Chauvin trial in Minneapolis, 
uh, whether the policeman is sentenced or uh, or acquitted. You know, in the in the in the, in the George Floyd uh, death case, yeah. the officer Chauvin. I think we're going to have a riot, and um, I mean, there, there's an element of uh, the left that just wants an excuse to uh, loot and and attack capitalism. Yeah, well, Maxine Waters is playing. Maxine Waters comes out and basically says you got to be more confrontational if Calvin uh, is acquitted, blatantly endorsing violent mob rule. I mean, it's just un- this woman needs to to be. Uh, well, I think there's actually a a vote. Uh, uh, let's see who who is doing this. Somebody, oh, Marjorie Taylor Greene announced Sunday that she plans to introduce a resolution in the House of Representatives expelling. Representative Maxine Waters from Congress for inciting Black Lives Matter violence. Well, she's certainly doing that, and uh, I think there's going to be violence as well. Uh, but why not let the uh, let the uh, the scales of justice <laughs> do its job? Why do these people? It's almost like lynching. It's almost like a mob rule. Well, I, I mean, I mean, the the. The violent left has an agenda like the violent right. I mean, on, you know, on, on the uh, uh, Republican side of the ledger, uh, the right wing crazies stormed the Capitol, and uh, we're going to try to uh, overturn the election by taking over Capitol Hill. I mean, that that's a, a nuttiness to the uh, nth degree. On the left side, you have. The lefties using any excuse possible, as I said, to attack our system, to attack capitalism, to um, you know, to to magnify a situation into into a, a crisis, and and then they go around and and uh, storm the yeah. retail store, small retailers to put them out of business. Yeah, I, I so, can't help but mention that the I think we must be watching different media outlets and you, <laughs> for our news because I think. This whole notion of uh, of uh, far right people uh, people on the far right uh, storming the Capitol, I think, <laughs> has been pretty well debunked. Well, I mean, um, who were they then? They they were definitely not left wingers. <clears throat> well, they were Donald Trump supporters. That's uh, you know, I live in Washington. Uh, I I breathe the air here, so maybe uh, I I am listening to different news outlets. Yeah. <clears throat> well, but that, uh, my, uh, well, but it, you know, there's an the uh, there's a national global national security uh, assessment came out recently, and and I, I think they rightfully pointed out that because of the internet, uh, divisions in the in the whole world, not just our country, are increasing because it's easier for like-minded people to form what I call tribes. So we have uh, yeah we have a, a lot of uh, tribalism in the country. Yeah, and. Uh, well, you know, there are religious tribes and political tribes, you name it. Yeah. Uh, you can find an internet group, and they be, they, they're organized, and, and some of them have become violent. I, uh, yeah, you're right. So, uh, you know, I, I want to come back to a point that you made uh, a couple years ago when you said that basically media outlets are looking for clicks, and the way to do that is to, uh, to do exactly what they're doing, which is dividing us, which is bringing up sometimes irrelevant information in order to... Uh, make us angry you know and, it, and unfortunately that's what people click on and the consequence is that we end up in, in the what i think you're what you're suggesting is in kind of a tribal nation well yeah and plus the media is looking for uh, the equivalent of uh, circus clowns um yeah so they'll focus on uh, individuals in congress who you know the people and members in congress we uh had a colleague that described Congress as a collection of 435 mayors. Uh, the point being that a very small percentage of the electorate, the national electorate, puts people in the Congress. And there are some areas of the country that are kind of wacky, and, and their Congress people reflect that yeah. particular small area of the country. And yet the national media focuses on these nutcases and, and blows, them, blows their importance way out of. Of that's such and an to, such to an important clicks to make us angry yep. um you know create faux controversy absolutely you know that's such an important point i really appreciate you again jim mctagg's two books are follow the leader and shake the money tree i wish we had more time to talk about this jim but i think we're all done i just really appreciate your commentary here in the show thank you so much for joining us 
Hey, fun to be here. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator and soon-to-be uh, Senate president. We're going to visit with Boo Mortensen. We'll find out what's new with Boo. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And I always enjoy our time each week with uh, my wife, Linda. She's going to be on the show as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com if you want to be on the uh, distribution list for my newsletter that I send out after each show. I hope you make a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.